Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you be a faithful citizen. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me today in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit. Hey, good day, everyone. Hope that you're having a wonderful, blessed day and that you have a great time listening to this half hour. You can catch the Bridge Builder Show each week right here at the same time. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast. You can also find the Bridge Builder Show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week we try to bring you great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We also answer your questions and concerns in our mailbag segment. You can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And it wouldn't be a bridge builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple in the public arena, and we do that in our bricklayer segment. We host an event each uh, budget year in the odd years called Catholics at the Capitol. But from time to time, we like to show uh, or get a sense of the perspective of Catholics who actually work at the Capitol, who are the Catholics at the Capitol, who are there on a daily basis. Uh, We've also got a great mailbag segment today dealing with comprehensive sex ed, and our bricklayer segment uh, shows an important step you can take uh, as the legislative session starts on February 11th. So today, getting back to that theme of Catholics at the Capitol, we're joined on the phone by Reed LeBeau. Reed is a parishioner at St. Patrick in Oak Grove. He is a partner with the Jacobson Law Group based in St. Paul and a lobbyist who has represented a number of clients, but in particular, Native American tribes in Minnesota and South Dakota. He's an enrolled member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, and as a litigator, he practices also in the area of Indian law and campaign finance and election law. Reed is one of the very finest lobbyists in St. Paul at the Capitol and uh, is here to share a little bit with us today about working at the Capitol, his work on behalf of the tribes, and how he integrates his faith into his practice. Reed, good morning. Welcome to The Bridge Builder. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Reed, how did you get into lobbying and advocacy? You went to law school. Did you dream that you'd ever become a lobbyist and an advocate in this particular type of work, or how did you get into the business? Well, I grew up in the middle of South Dakota, in the capital of Pierre. I grew up going to school. The middle school and the high school were actually right across the street from the capital. I used to cut class to actually go sit in uh, the gallery of the (laughs) South Dakota House, to watch the legislative session. And the legislative session, there's only, um, back in those days, it was like 31 legislative days. So so it didn't go very long. I have an uncle that is still a lobbyist in South Dakota, and he represents uh, Indian tribes there. And so just sort of always been around it and found it interesting. And from a very early age, just really enjoyed the process and everything about it. And then I realized... Uh, I guess rather early on that you can actually get paid to do it and uh, and just sort of followed that. But when I went to law school, I think like a lot of us, I know you and I uh, went through the same law school at about the same time. You buy in, into the idea that once you get out, you want to go and work at the biggest law firm and you know, the, the highest skyscraper and the fanciest office and, and all that. And it took about five years to finally realize that what my, my real passion was was advocacy at the legislative and at the federal level uh, and being able to use what gifts I've gotten, if I've gotten any, uh, to uh, represent my clients' interests. Reed, 
Some people may be surprised that lobbyists can represent numerous different clients at the same time. How does a lobbyist decide what issues and clients to pursue, and how do you handle uh, what might be either conflicts of interest or things that conflict with your principles or values? Well, I think it's important to remember at the top that not every lobbyist is a lawyer. And so some, I think, some individuals have a, a very flexible scale of conflict of interest. Um, but I've always taken the perspective that I'm a lawyer first and that the rules of professional responsibility govern everything we do. And I think for non-attorneys, it's probably kind of hard to understand or it sounds like an oxymoron. But, you know, every lawyer I know, just about every lawyer I know, you know, really takes those very seriously. It's one of those rules that you get a break once. And if you break it once, it will tarnish you forever. And I've always taken conflict of interest and just the ability to represent your client well. Um, And you have to be thoughtful about what issues you're going to take on uh, and how that might affect other clients that you have. Um, Even if it's not a direct conflict, it could be something that maybe hits a little too close to home, even if it's completely unrelated to what they have you working on at the Capitol. But you just have to be mindful of that. Um, and so that's how I've always approached it, that, um, you know, is this going to, is this really in the best interest of the clients that I have? Um, does this sort of pair well with, uh, not only our policy expertise area, but, um, is it something that we can be successful at? Reed, what's one thing you wish more people knew about, uh, advocacy or working at the Capitol or the Capitol generally? I, I think that a lot of people view being at the Capitol as being sort of a, a very insular type of um, experience where only certain people can do it um, or it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's inside the dome and it's sort of a, a closed click. And I think it's important for people to remember that, um, you know, the ability to uh, to advocate and the ability to really petition the government for a redress of grievances is really a sacred right that we all have, and that people should never feel, I, I think, excluded or left out from that process. You know, that is something that I think uh, we all tend to forget about the First Amendment. Uh, we tend to overlook a little bit, and I think that's disappointing um, because it's it is such a fundamental uh, such a fundamental part of I think the American experience and really how our government should and does work. Um, I do think it's also important to remember that you know there is a political culture that exists, and you have to be mindful of that to be a successful lobbyist. You know, it's it's one thing to want to lobby and to uh, want to participate. It's another thing to understand the rules of the game and do it well.
you mentioned Reed the the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It's right in the First Amendment. You know, a, a basic sacred right that we all have that we can go to the our elected officials and share with them our concerns and grievances and hopefully get a solution. So everyone and every citizen can in effect uh, do that. So why do we need lobbyists? One might ask. Let me play a little devil's advocate. Uh, to... Well, I th- <laughs> you need a lobbyist. I think for the very reason that you need a lawyer. Um, we are uh, we are generalists, uh, and in some cases we are uh, over just I think the course of time of working on a particular issue area for so long you become uh, more of a specialist. But where our expertise comes in is uh, understanding the rules of the game, the rules of procedure and process, um, and it's how do you get a bill drafted? What are the rules for drafting a bill? Uh, what are the uh, conventions of uh, participating in a committee hearing? Um, how do you approach members? Uh, who are the staff members that you have to deal with? Um, what committees do, does the bill have to go through? Um, those are all very important things that if you don't understand and you, and you don't understand how that works, um, you'll have a very frustrating time. You know, but I think more than even that, uh, what people are, I hope, find value in, and I, I, I think my clients find value in, is we provide counsel on the best avenue and, and strategy and tactics to be able to make them successful in their legislative effort. But we also bring, I think, a wealth of knowledge of uh, the relation and the personalities uh, that we're dealing with. Because, again, you know, we're not dealing with... Uh, just a bunch of nameless, faceless, emotionless people at the Capitol. We're dealing with individuals, individuals with backgrounds and with beliefs and with stories. And it's important to understand where those people are, um, who they are, where they come from. Um, And it's important because I think it helps you not only craft uh, from our side, you know, what's the best way to approach them, but to do it in a respectful way. Uh, And that only, I think, increases your chances of success. Reed, you've alluded to this already, but so much of what we see or the, the people uh, out there listening see of politics is, is conflict and confrontation. But we know that that's not uh, the daily work of the Capitol, which involves uh, relationship building and, and bringing together diverse groups of people around different causes. We call this show, for example, The Bridge Builder, because that's we think that's more of the dynamic of successful politics. Say a little bit more about the way in which the, your work and, and politics generally at the Capitol is really more about building bridges as opposed to fomenting conflict. Well, and I think it's particularly true uh, with the work that I do here in Minnesota as opposed to the work that I do uh, in Washington, where the political culture of this state is very much one where uh, members and staff prefer and really expect that when you bring an issue to the Capitol that you've attempted to reach out to who you assume will have a problem or may have a problem with your bill and, you know, at least had a conversation with them so that they know that it's happening. Um, We're not big on surprises. And part of doing your homework, and and again, part of the reason I think uh, folks should want and need a lobbyist is uh, we know who to reach out to. We know who to talk to and we know why. And, it's important that uh, you try to at least have 
that show the respect for your opponents. Um, and just as a sort of from a practitioner's point of view, the person that's my opponent at 10 o'clock in the morning may be my ally at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Indeed. Uh, we work on a variety of different issues and a variety of different committees. And so kind of referring back to the rules on um, uh, uh, professional responsibility, you can come through and you can burn through uh, – uh, your reputation pretty quickly if uh, if you just try to run roughshod over everybody. And I think in Minnesota that's particularly true. Um, I, I remember at the federal level I was meeting with a, a member of Congress from Oklahoma who's a good friend of mine, and he made the comment that, you know, the media only ever reports on the 3% of conflict that you see in Washington. And now with uh, uh, with everything going on in Washington now, it's probably a bit more than that, but there really are significantly better relationships that just never get reported on uh, because uh, the way that members of Congress actually do work together well just isn't newsworthy, I guess. So We're speaking with Reed LeBeau. Reed is an attorney and lobbyist with the Jacobson Law Group in St. Paul. He's part of our ongoing uh, feature of profiling Catholics who work at the Capitol on a regular basis, and his session starts on February 11th. Reed is one of the people you would see quite a bit around the Capitol should you go down there to talk to your legislators about a bill. Reed, you represent Native American tribes at the Capitol. What are some of the key issue uh, issues of concern for the tribes that you're representing? You know, it's really across the board. Um, it can be uh, from economic development to last year we had a bill on tribal health records uh, where we had to tweak state law just so that the Department of Health could share birth records with uh, tribal governments because the statute was silent on it before. Um, and it's uh, I consider what we do um, uh, with our um, tribal clients um, and you know, as you mentioned, I'm a member of a tribe, so it's something that's very close to my heart. Um, I consider a lot of what we do to almost be um, sort of the the liaison or, or the ambassador for uh, uh, really we represent the government. We represent a government, uh, uh, a few of them, uh, and it's representing that government to uh, the state of Minnesota. And uh, that's something that... Uh, we take very seriously, and uh, you know, but just like uh, the state of Minnesota, uh, their interests are um, as wide and varied as uh, everything that the state of Minnesota is involved in. Yeah, a lot of similarities between I think representing some of the uh, tribes and representing the church in the sense that they're both actual political communities, and uh, both of our work as lobbyists uh, is in, in many ways an ambassadorial role. So that's a role. So that's a good analogy, I think. Reed, you're both a Catholic and a Native American, and it seems more and more that the public discourse wants to put those two things in conflict because of the historic legacy of injustices suffered by Native Americans. How do you uh, integrate your Catholic faith and Native American identity? How do those shape you? Well, you know, I think that that, that sort of split is, um, I think that's really fairly unique to just our particular time and maybe our place. Uh, where I grew up, uh, most of my uh, tribe uh, is Catholic or uh, Episcopalian. So um, 
then that's I think a, a result of um, of um, early missionaries. Uh, you know, wh- when I when I talk with folks, you know, they ask, oh, you know, what uh, what religion are you? And I said, well, my family's been Catholic for about two hundred years, so it's it's uh, it's not uh, a point of conflict I've ever really seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I I think that that division is really more a function of just the time uh, and um, sort of the uh, politically correct culture run amok. Mm-hmm. When the Capitol was renovated a few years ago, there are two paintings that were removed from the governor's reception room, each depicting Native Americans, and one of them featuring uh, Father Lewis Hennepin. We have Hennepin County, uh, for example, one of the early missionaries to Minnesota. What was your reaction to the removal of those paintings? One of them, of course, the, involved the Treaty of Traverse de Sioux. Um, was moving them justified? Did they truly cause offense to, uh, for example, the tribes that you represented? Or is it more, again, like you referred to earlier, sort of the march of political correctness and identity politics? What's your thought on well, that? Well, there, de- there definitely uh, were uh, members and um, members of Indian communities throughout the state that definitely took offense to to those depictions. Um, you know, if you get into the history of the painting of Traverse de Sioux, uh, that w- there's actually no uh, historical uh, basis for that painting. It's it's a depiction of the story somebody heard about it. There, that that wasn't actually a rendering from uh, the actual event itself. Which uh, that event I think is you know remains a permanent stain on uh, the federal government mm-hmm. uh, and and their treatment of tribes, but. You know, personally, uh, and this kind of gets back to uh, what it is to be a lobbyist. You know, I have my personal views. I have my my own uh, my own faith. Um, and what I think a lot of people find difficult with lobbying is, um, and what I hear from a lot of young people that want to get into this particular industry, is they think that there is some sort of causal link between what they believe and what they're going to what issues they're going to lobby on. And really what I try to remind everybody is nobody's coming to me and saying, I really like your politics. <laughs> um, I, I want to hire you because of, because I like your particular belief and your particular uh, political bent. What we're here for is to provide uh, knowledge of the process and the depth of relationships that we've uh, cultivated over a long period of time and it's i think it's it's not a recipe for success to try to think that our own uh political beliefs are what people are um trying to uh acquire to make them successful when it comes to the paintings um I I'm ambivalent I think in the in the true definition of it and that I feel very strongly both ways. Um I I do understand uh the uh the deep sort of visceral feelings that um others have about the way it depicts uh, American Indians but I also have a very uh strong sort of knee-jerk reaction against trying to apply current uh, in-the-moment moral standards that have 
in some cases become warped over time um, and trying to apply that to things that have happened in the past. Um, and I think uh, really the way to, I think, address a lot of things um, and, and those paintings in particular is through education and to um, help people understand uh, what those paintings uh, what they represented, what they represent to a variety of uh, uh, points of view and, and beliefs, and uh, uh, have conversations about those. Uh, I don't really care where they are, uh, where they're located, but I do think that they are, uh, they do represent a point in the state's history, and they have value because of their. Uh, uh, because of uh, their historical nature, but I do think that there's that they do uh, uh, require uh, context and uh, explanation. Sure, indeed. Reed, so many interesting and thoughtful perspectives, particularly on the the nature of lobbying as a craft, and they're not necessarily hiring you because of your politics or your background, but because of the skills you bring as a lobbyist and participating and engaging the political process, much like a lawyer would in in court. So thank you for that. Anything else you want to add for our listeners today about your work or the work of uh, lobbyists generally? Um, Just that uh, sort of back to that, that main point that um, I think that it's easy, uh, and usually when I introduce myself, I tell people, well, I'm a lawyer, and hold on, it gets worse, I'm a lobbyist, too. <laughs> um, but I think it's important for people to remember that the right to petition the government um, is not something that was just sort of a catch-all throwaway uh, that was buried at the end of the First Amendment. Um, I I'm strongly of the belief that actually if we didn't have that right, everything else and uh, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution sort of fall away, and that there is a long history that goes uh, far, far back um, to where that right came from and how it developed through time, uh, through much uh, blood and toil and treasure. And I think that that's something that we have to have a better appreciation of um, why it exists, and we, and I think it's incumbent upon us as practitioners uh, in that industry and in uh, and practicing that right uh, to do it in a responsible manner, um, so that we bring credit to not only our industry but that people understand that uh, the ability to lobby your government uh, is something that we shouldn't just take for granted. Indeed. We've been speaking today on The Bridge Builder with Reed LeBeau of the Jacobson Law Group. Reed uh, is, we're featuring Reed as part of our ongoing uh, series on Catholics at the Capitol. Reed, we're grateful for your joining us today and for your perspective on lobbying and uh, life at the Capitol. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. It's now time to dive into our mailbag segment to hear what comments and questions you've been sending to our producer, Kit Cross. Kit, what have you got for today? Yeah, so as we mentioned earlier in the show, session begins on February 11th this year. 
And so we've actually fielded some questions regarding an issue that gained a lot of attention during the 2019 session, that issue being the comprehensive sex education. And people have commented, well, sex ed is important. What's the problem? They're asking, what does that bill entail? Why is it concerning? And what should Catholics actually be doing about this issue? Kate, you're right. It was a big issue in 2019 and certainly something for Catholics to be paying attention to going forward as is a very troublesome and problematic bill. And Minnesota law does not currently mandate or encourage school districts to implement a comprehensive sex ed program. And so therefore, you've got uh, an initiative to mandate certain standards and programs. And what uh, the comprehensive sex ed legislation that was introduced and then included as part of the House's K-12 um, education bill in 2019 was it uh, lay out a set of standards, of general standards, and then direct uh, the Department of Education to come up with specifics and model curricula and model programming for school districts to follow and for which they can be assured of compliance. Comprehensive sex ed, though, of course, is code. It's a term of art for um, something called the Guidelines for Comprehensive Sexuality Education K-12, through which was first published by the Sexual Information and Education Council of the United States, uh, which was founded, that CICUS, was founded by former Planned Parenthood Medical Director Mary Calderon. So CICUS uh, believes that comprehensive school-based sexuality education should be part of the education program at every grade and, of course, provides a program for that, which Planned Parenthood has been advocating for uh, strongly for Minnesota to adopt. Uh, it's a deeply problematic um, uh, program. It's, it, we think it sexualizes children, encourages in unhealthy sexual behavior and sexual norms, um, and does this at a very early and young age. Planned Parenthood has been getting into, as part of its model, more and more comprehensive sexuality education. Now, we don't want to necessarily impart motives for that, but, but who, it, to the extent that people are engaging in promiscuous behavior, uh, it's going to produce and end up producing more abortions, which is a major part of Planned Parenthood's financial stream. For example, a woman named Monica Klein, a form, former Planned Parenthood educator, says that sex ed materials uh, include a whole lot of hypersexualized answers to groom children for early onset of sex. So this is a very, very troublesome program that's being pushed. We, we understand that this would create the mandates and the fundings for outside groups uh, who are pushing things related to, uh, as the legislation says, uh, bodily autonomy and healthy relationships, including diverse sexual orientations and gender identities. Uh, this is really a funding and mandate that school districts bring outside groups in and have them do their educational services and on comprehensive sex ed. So very troublesome dynamic. Again, it's public schools undermining parents' values in many ways. So although people might like schools talking about the birds and the bees, for example, this goes way beyond the birds and the bees and is really a troubling proposal that uh, we're hopeful is not going to pass uh, this year in 2020. It shouldn't pass the Senate, but our legislators need to know that the comprehensive sex ed proposal should absolutely be uh, shut down going forward. It's a big issue to look forward to in 2020 and 2021 for sure. Great. Thank you, Jason, for kind of keeping our listeners posted on that. And now we're headed into our bricklayer segment, kind of a way to give you some practical tips to start laying the bricks to build that bridge to 
bridge the gap between faith and public life. What do we have this week? Well, as we near the start of the legislative session on Tuesday, February 11th, it's the perfect time to become familiar with your state legislators and learn which legislative district you are in. Oftentimes, when we go give presentations around the state, I ask sort of rhetorically uh, who can name both their state rep and state senator, and very few people actually can do so. If we don't know who our legislators are who are making the laws, we can't expect the laws to be good. Uh, We have to be in relationship, and that starts with knowing who our legislators are. Knowing who they are will help you connect with them during session when important issues come up, like comprehensive sex ed. We've made it really easy for you here at the Minnesota Catholic Conference to look up who represents you at both the state and federal level. Just go to mncatholic.org slash action center and then click on the directory tab. Then you enter your address and it will pull up all kinds of contact information for your state representatives, senator, members of Congress, and more. You can also take the next step and join the Catholic Advocacy Network, which allows you to keep in regular contact with your local officials through simply clicking that mouse. That's all we have time for today on The Bridge Builder. But remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. By doing so, you will help others bring the Catholic faith into public life. Let listeners know that you support the Catholic faith in the public arena. Contact our producer, Kit, via our email, show at mncatholic.org, for sponsorship opportunities. Remember that you can be a part of our show through the mailbag segment. Again, just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. Or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Then tune in next week to find out if we include your question or comment. Remember, you can pet catch up on past episodes of The Bridge Builder at mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks so much for listening. God bless your weekend.